Hello and welcome to The Wanderer, the Anglo-Saxon heathen podcast. In this episode we're going to look at Warriors and Valhalla, and for this we can thank Regia and Glorum. The young boy stood in the doorway and stared at the man. His mother always told him it was rude to stare, but he was far too busy exploring the world around him to heed her advice. The man sat on a three-legged stool and stared into the fire. From time to time he sighed and shook his head. Hello, said the boy. The man looked up, a stern expression flickering across his face briefly before he smiled. He had a tired smile. Hello there, young fellow, he said. I'm Osbert. Are you a friend of my father? The man found that amusing. You could say that, he replied. Osbert sniffed. What kind of an answer was that? What have you got there? Osbert held out a four-foot length of ash. It's my spear, he said, ignoring the fact that it curved gently to one side, had a prominent split running along a third of its length, and was blunt. I'm going to kill Danes with it. Are you now? Fancy yourself as a warrior then, do you? When I'm big, my brother's a warrior. He fought for the king, the boy sidled into the room and stood only a few feet away from the man. I'm going to fight for the king when I'm big. I'm going to kill lots of Danes. He looked at the man's mail shirt. It was rusty and had links missing. Not like a proper warrior's mail shirt. He didn't have a helmet either. Or a proper shield. Ulf the village smith had knocked up a few of his specials for the man. Could I see your sword? Osbert asked in a small voice. The man paused a moment, weighing up the request in his mind, then reached down and picked up his scabbard from the floor between his feet and the stall. He drew the sword slowly and let the firelight dance across the patterns in its surface. Gold and silver glinted on the hilt and crossguard. Osbert's mouth was opened in sheer admiration. It's beautiful, he murmured. Isn't it just? Have you got a sword like this? Osbert shook his head. He had a length of firewood stuck into his belt. That was all. It's better than my dad's, he said. Did it cost a lot? I don't know. It belonged to my brother and before him to my father and grandfather. Can I touch it? Yes, but be very careful. The edge is very sharp now. We don't want you losing a finger before you've met your first Dane, do we? The boy wiped a finger in his shirt and reached out. He seemed to get slower as he got closer, like a pilgrim with a fragile holy relic before him. The steel was cold despite being close to the fire, and his exploring finger left a little cloudy ring of condensation against the polished surface. His eyes seemed to draw power from the sword. They grew wider and glinted in turn with the flickering flames. The man watched the boy as he had watched many other boys. It was always the sword that did it. He had seen the same light in their eyes, and he had seen that light flicker and fade away, fading like the condensation on the blade. He tried to reproach himself for encouraging the boy. He wanted to tell him to throw the spear and the sword he carried onto the fire, where they belonged, and go and do some useful chores around the farm. He tried to, he wanted to, but he could not. His survival depended on the sacrifice of the young men that boys like Osbert would become. Osbert drew his hand away. Thank you, he said before turning and running off. The man watched him go and sighed again. Soon the boy's father and the other men would follow him into battle. Would the boy be an orphan in a few weeks? Would he remember the man with the beautiful sword and curse him aloud for the hard times he and his mother would face in the years ahead? Or would he forget and thrill his grandchildren with the towel? It was no time to be king. The torches smokely burning in the feasting hall. 
cast the wan light across the laden benches. Tonight we eat our fill and quench our thirst. For in the springtide morning, at the rising sun, we steer our dragon-proud ships questing across the emerald seas, riding on the towering waves. Ever with a glance across our shoulders, backward to our hearths in the east, we sail westwards in search of fame and glory. New lands to conquer, to the clash of sword and shield, riches to plunder, to fill our ships, and offer gifts to the gods. Comrades, we care for after-blood red battle, lying wounded and dying. Victories to celebrate and sometimes to fly from overwhelming numbers. And at the year's waning to sail homewards with the onset of winter, braving the battering seas, returning to our loved ones. To sit again in the hall and see the empty seats of comrades fallen to the foe. And raise our horns and mead cups in salute. And cry to the gods our thanks that after winter's cold and darkness, there is a promise of another summer to come. Now join with me in the cry that guides our spirits of our fallen heroes, winging across the rainbow bridge to the doors at the Hall of the Slain, and shakes the seat of Odin's throne and the very foundations of Asgard, the kingdom of the gods. Valhalla! Valhalla! The Old Warrior The old warrior looked across the valley. It had been a hard fight, but it was over now. Every year... They were pushing further and further north. Six years ago, he had stood proudly by Harold's side, wounded but happy, for a great victory had been achieved. Hadrada walked the earth no more, and the tattered remains of his army fled back across the sea. Since then, he seemed to have been forever fighting the Norman invaders, first at Senlac, where he stood before his king, holding the shield wall tight until a Norman sword ended the battle for him. He traced the line of the scar from his forehead to mouth and shuddered as he thought how close he had come to losing his eye, how close to losing his life. Since then, death seemed constantly at his shoulder, waiting, but not coming for him yet. He thought of how, as he had travelled north, ahead of the invaders, Saxon and Dane united against the common foe, but always too late. There was no organisation. The armies were always too small, too badly equipped. They never stood a chance against the disciplined might of the Normans' forces. Still, he had always fought, always given good account of himself. It seemed the knights had not yet fully learned the lesson of the broadaxe. This thought made him smile. He remembered the fighting four years ago, alongside Harold's sons near Brigstow, then Stafford, three years ago, York, sight of the great victory a few years earlier, inflamed by a Norman's hand, and so it went, pushed, fighting, ever further north. Now he came back to the present, and once more he looked around the battlefield. Their spirit was strong, but most of them were not warriors. For fifteen years he had served Harold, but these men, most of them were no more than farmers. He picked up his broken axe and looked around for those wounded that could be saved. He came across young Ori, no more than twelve summers old, his spear no more than a kitchen knife lashed to a young sapling. He was covered in blood, not all of it his own, but he was smiling despite his wounds. Others were not so lucky. They had had the victory, but it had cost them dear. Many good men would not be returning to the mead benches tonight, but far fewer would be returning to the Norman's camp. Once the dead were stripped of their arms and buried, a weary bunch of men headed north, Back to the fells, back to their lord's hall, the wounded and the trophies 
carried on the on the dead Norman's horses. Some hours after dark, the warriors reached the hall. Women came out to greet them, looking for their loved ones, praying that they were not amongst the fallen. The sound of crying growing ever louder at the news of lost kin. The old warrior entered the hall, strode to the high seat and stood before the jarl. So, Ethric, you saw some fighting. Went it well? Will many grieve for their loved ones? Come, tell me of the battle. The old warrior looked into Jarl's eyes. We found their camp three days ago, Lord. Ever they pushed further north. This camp was but a day's march from here. I fear soon, needs must that we move deeper into the hills, beyond the winding mere. But for now we need not fear them. Our archers stung them as they sat in their camp. Then, as we planned, they followed us into the valleys. It seems they have still not learned the lesson taught to us in Wales, for their horsemen followed us into the trap. The fighting was hard, and we lost near a score of good men, but they lost more. We counted three score plus seven dead Normans before we withdrew. The survivors returned to their camp, several of them sorely wounded. We watched their camp, and they sent a rider southwards, but whatever message he was carrying, did not get through. Einar saw to that. What of those left in the camp? asked the Jarl. They waited a day, then sent out a patrol. It did not return. Then they broke camp, started heading south again, and we pressed them hard. Many a Norman now lies as food for wolves and ravens. But then, a few of their knights, four score in number, left the main train and headed back to find us. We were too few to face them in open battle, so we lured them back into the hills until earlier this day we ambushed them in Snorri's Dale. We lost twelve men and a score plus one more were wounded, but none of the invaders returned. You have done well, good, Alfred. It is in my mind that I should reward you, as was done in the old days, but now we have no stores of silver, no golden rings for a trusty retainer. But nonetheless, your sword band shall feast well tonight, and we shall sing songs to see the dead into Valhalla, or the heavenly kingdom, my lord. I, brave Elfric, or the heavenly kingdom, replied the Jarl. Soon the hall was all bustle and activity, as men put out the tables and women prepared the food. That night there was much feasting. Many a mead horn was passed around the throng, and many a song was sung for the fallen warriors. Laughter tinged with sadness echoed around the old hall. The poet told tales of ancient heroes and mighty deeds, and then, as he heard more of what had passed, he composed a lay in the correct metre for those that had battled that day. As the days passed, from spring into summer, News reached the hall that the main forces of the Norman invaders were pressing ever northwards, and in fact there were Norman castles as far north as the Mersey. Many an old landowner was being stripped of his lands, and those that resisted were put to the sword. It seemed the Normans knew only fire and battle. The Jarl sent messages to his cousin, on man, asking for help and other messages to his kin in the Western Isles. A few came, but by far the most common arrival was the dispossessed farmer or landowner driven out by their new Norman masters. Many refused the yoke of a Norman master and fled north where they had heard that a man could still live free from the Norman rule. Soon around the Jarl's Hall was a small village of wood and canvas as men arrived to swell the Jarl's forces. Saxon and Viking, Christian and Pagan, all united by a common hatred for their new masters. All through the summer, the sound of hammer on anvil was heard as smiths produced arms to equip the ever-growing army. 
All through the summer the sound of weapon on shield echoed through the vale as warriors honed their fighting skills. Then as the harvest time drew near, the news that all had been expecting arrived. Runners from the southern slopes came to the hall with news that a large Norman army was heading north towards the hall. Soon everything was movement. Men ran to fetch their shields and spears. The older and more experienced warriors donned helmets and mail shirts. By nightfall, the army moved out, down towards the shores of the winding mere. Near its head strode Elfric, bright in his armour, his sword given him by Earl Harold himself at his side, his broadaxe on his shoulder, and next to him Ori in a shining new helm, a proper spear on his shoulder and shield on his back. At midnight, men looked out from the wooded slopes of the edge to of the lake onto the Norman watchfire. No small raiding party this time, but an army come to claim the land in the name of William. The old warrior surveyed the camp and thought it to himself. Now comes the storm. This battle will decide whether any corner of this proud land will remain free of Norman tyranny. If we fall, then all England will belong to William, and true Englishmen may never walk free again. Turning on his heel, he returned to his sword band to organise them for what he knew would be his final battle. For now death was closer, by his shoulder than ever before. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Wanderer. If you like this episode, please tune in again next time.